We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a bonus episode of Stealing Bananas, where we do a Spike Week Royal Rumble Best Ball Draft recap. I don't usually do the intros here, but as we kind of mix and match, Ben is going to be back with us in just a second. We're going to go through this fun team that we drafted. We're going to look at some of the other teams within this league. We're going to break down sort of the trends as the draft transpired. We're going to look at where the running back runs happened where the dead zone was, how far did it drop in this draft? Did we have the wide receiver avalanche? Were there surprises at the QB position? How did elite drafters address the tight end late? So much to go over here. It'll be a fun bonus episode. So wrapping back around and looking at this draft in its totality, we do see a fairly normal first three rounds. And in fact, maybe the biggest surprise is that Keenan Allen slides to 33rd. That's a good value pick for Pat. We have to see kind of as things transpire, if it's a good pick from the perspective of scoring the most points, which is obviously what the real goal is here. I do like Marquise Brown and Jalen Waddell coming off right after that. It wasn't realistic that they would come back to us, but that was, would be kind of the dream scenario. We took Rashad Bateman in the fourth that was a little bit of a reach and in some ways almost starts the wide receiver avalanche that I feel like we navigated fairly well. The other early pick that might be considered a little bit of a surprise outside of the Gabriel Davis selection, which obviously was Liam deciding to go with a Buffalo theme is Mike Williams there at the one at the two, three turn. Peter makes that selection. He also selects Aaron Jones Aaron Jones, a value pick by ADP. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you draft with Pete all the time. You know how you like he likes to do this. Is Aaron Jones someone who you know we discussed as like the current version of Jamal Charles, but maybe without that type of workload? Do you still like him ahead of Fournette, Williams, Nick Chubb, who I actually think is a sneaky player in this half PPR format? Interesting picks by Pete there at the turn. Yeah, they were definitely interesting, and I don't want to speak for him too much. I do draft him a lot, and it's interesting because he does typically seem to be 
somewhat balanced, but he went aggressive here. These were the, uh, well, at least with Williams. And then Aaron Jones, I think is a little bit of a value at this point, because he's been jumping up into the second round in terms of how I view Jones. I mean, I, I like him a lot. I don't love the price tag where it's gotten to. I'm not entirely sure, I guess where I stand on him versus Fournette and Williams. I mean, that's just like the, the genuine honest take. I, I I really do like Williams' price there at 302. I like Fournette's price at 301, frankly. I mean, I think you have to like him just from a pure projection sense, from a high value touch sense, from all of those, you know, those particular reasons. And then you have to like Jones as well. So I think that's a really interesting little pocket that you highlighted. Williams at 212, aggressive move. I do like it. Keenan Allen's underlying numbers have been fading over the last couple of years. I've talked about this a couple of times over the offseason. His targets per out run fell last year as yard as after the target efficiency yards per target type stuff has fallen. And he's a guy who needs really elite targets per out run because he's the low A dot guy. He's not going to generate a ton of efficiency on that. It's a very explosive passing offense, but I like that he went with Williams over Keenan Allen. I, I think Williams is where the real ceiling is in this offense. That was a a take that I haven't quite gotten to yet, and and I didn't realize, I guess, that ADP or, or general consensus had reached that point yet, but I kind of like the idea of Williams over Keenan Allen. And then the next dynamic that is interesting would be how early the QBs went in an in industry draft. Josh Allen in the third round, again, part of the, the Bills super stack there. Then Lamar Jackson as the number two QB. I love him as an absolute blow-up candidate. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, all of those guys in the fourth round. We get Kyler Murray early in the fifth, Jalen Hurts early in the sixth. We got to the point where there was a wide receiver tier break for us, so we selected Joe Burrow. But the tricky part here for me is that you're kind of navigating a couple of things, but especially in a draft that you expect to be very wide receiver heavy, those quarterback selections come at a pretty high cost. They do. And that was the thing that stuck out to me, as you said, that when you pull up this board here, it doesn't look as receiver heavy as we described earlier in the stream, but it was pretty QB heavy early and it was pretty tight end heavy early. So we had the running back values that we're talking about throughout and it definitely got wide receiver heavy in round six, round seven, round eight, as you get deeper into, you know, what might be described as a running back dead zone. It was, it was interesting in this room where the running backs were falling. These drafters didn't want to go running back. So they, they were taking a lot of uh, receivers, but not an extreme amount of receivers in the first three or four rounds. And that's, I think what pushed up the quarterback and tight end picks from some sharp drafters that were saying, I can I can address some key onesie positions with some elite talent. We like to do that from time to time. It, it, it kind of makes sense, right? It does. If you're at that spot where you think the receiver value isn't very good, then that's where you want to make the selection. It's again interesting, you know, kind of knowing how Pete likes to address drafts that he goes with Herbert and James Connor. Connor, someone we're definitely fading at ADP, but <laughs> he falls to the 501. Uh, you really are talking about someone here who if we were slightly younger and had just had even slightly fewer injuries over the course of his career, when I mean, he'd be a mid second round pick, the EP numbers for James Conner are going to be absolutely fantastic. It's virtually impossible. I just did my Arizona Cardinals projection. It's virtually impossible to not project him for a, a massive amount of touches. Yeah. I, I think they're going to work him 
into the ground because even though he's so slow, I mean, you watch him and it's like a dream sequence kind of deal. He's still so good. And the fact that he handles high value touches so well, it's going to be just an avalanche of points for him there in Arizona, at least to the point where he gets hurt, at which point, you know, Benjamin will take over. Then Juju Smith-Schuster goes to Davis. That's not a surprise. Davis and I are massive Chiefs fans. I would was hoping that he would get back to us at the 505. God went a little tricky maybe with the injury. Then you have some players in bad offenses. And that's the other interesting element when you're looking at how a draft is going to transpire. What do the drafters do with this group of receivers where the workload is probably going to be there? The talent is probably going to be there. The quarterback could be an absolute disaster. So speaking of Elijah Moore, Terry McLaurin, Darnell Mooney, uh, Amari Cooper. I know a lot of people are going to extend that to Amon Ross St. Brown. When I had a chance to talk to Michael Leone the other day, he was telling me he was also on board with Jerry Goff. So it's not a three-man draft here, but we are currently uploading you two to one. You Uh, guys are just, oh my God. (laughs) So thoughts on on how that, I mean, I, I guess I like this group basically i think Devonte smith is a fantastic selection i wish he had dropped two more spots to us i would have preferred him to burrow yep he would have been a fantastic pick there i think you had him at the top of our queue i was excited about the potential to grab him there i mean that's that he's a very interesting play right now honestly if we want to get into the Devonte smith conversation because i don't know that we've talked about him a lot on the show but i love aj brown We've talked a lot about the Eagles as a team that could potentially pass more, right? And when we initially saw that deal made, and you and I were talking about it on stream during the draft, one of the things that I thought at that time, and I've kind of stuck to, is that I thought it was more of a concern for Dallas Goddard. I thought that A.J. Brown could come in, potentially be the clear number one, but there's going to be room for a number two. And Devonta Smith was good last year in a run-heavy offense, And I've talked a lot about how I think the Eagles might not be quite as run heavy last year because of that stretch they had where they just really leaned into it. It was successful. Sometimes teams see things and they game plan a certain way week after week after week. They did that last year uh, and they were very run heavy for about a six, seven week stretch. I don't think your overall season long numbers for the Eagles this year are going to be anywhere close to as run heavy as last year. And so there's room for AJ Brown to be AJ Brown. And there's also room for the, for Devonta Smith, I think. And then I think Dallas Goddard's the guy that gets squeezed out a little bit as a number three. I, I, I'd still like him, but it's tougher for him. He last year, he was the clear second option, but Smith going into year two, coming off a strong rookie season in a run first offense that could get more pass heavy on his own merits is a very nice pick in the sixth round. So I'm with you. I mean, I think that was like, that's a guy that I was excited to take there. It was a strong pick. And then as we wrap back around, we see a very long stretch of wide receivers from the 64th pick to the 78th pick. We only have three other players go off the board. One, a QB, two tight ends. Pete gets TJ Hawkinson, which we absolutely love. Our selection of Sky Moore was maybe the pick in the draft that I would say is the most questionable up there in the seventh round. There's a lot of risk. There's also the factor, though, where because he wasn't healthy during their mini camps, we didn't get the puff piece articles that would have launched him several more rounds. And so that at least is a minor benefit. We got caught in a little bit of a stretch here, and you need to be prepared so that you have a selection. 
that you are excited about, like a Skymore that works with your build, that can be a fallback, but it definitely is a fallback because the three guys that we wanted went in the four picks before us in TJ Hawkinson, Traylon Burks, and Hunter Renfro. Really, I don't like any player that's drafted all the way back to Garrett Wilson. I'm not saying those are bad picks. We just got kind of in this dead zone-ish area for all positions. But definitely the backs we had opportunities to select in Elijah Mitchell, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson. And those are prototypical dead zone guys. The other player that we debated was Trey Lance. It's a question of do you want to take a quarterback in both the sixth and seventh there are a lot of drafts i'm actually doing that in but i think that trey lance is probably not up to that level yet so we didn't get lance we take wilson i had mentioned earlier i'm usually taking those guys in the reverse order i like wilson a lot claypool right afterward then brady and stafford both of those guys could throw for a ton of yards but i think without the hybrid element you know, maybe you say you can keep waiting. I say that when the context of us taking Derek Carr not that far later. And so <laughs> Which from that perspective, about. right. I think all through here, it's very difficult to navigate. And you saw that a little bit. Anybody who watched the Spike Week show, which was an absolute blast and kind of going through the rosters in the aftermath, there is that element where there were a lot of guys that maybe the enthusiasm for from say round eight to round 18 that people were joking about. And, you know, you can make a lot of jokes about these different players. It's tough. That's why the structure is very beneficial. It's also why I think just constantly thinking about, you know, which player might have asymmetric upside here that can help. I don't know that we necessarily did that with Derek Carr, but we came back with those two running backs in Devin Singletary and Ronald Jones that I really like. But before we had that Derek Carr pick, a couple of the guys we were looking at, Tyler Boyd, Rondell Moore, it would have been great if either one of them had fallen to us. Yep, definitely would have been. It continued to be really wide receiver heavy through these late single digit rounds. But as you as you laid out, I mean, we we took Sky Moore. I, I think the best point you made there for anyone who's listening has been in drafts, maybe a little bit more of a casual player, doesn't draft as much. It is so useful in drafts, like you just said. It's one of my favorite things about drafting with you that you always keep a cue. You you have an idea of that sort of fallback pick, as you put it, with Skymore. Skymore wasn't a fallback pick, as you also put it. We were excited about that pick, but it is so useful to know what you want to do structurally and be like, this is a pick that I'm comfortable with, and then think through the rest. You know, make a decision first that you would at least be comfortable with. Find something, because you do sometimes get caught on the clock just in terms of like draft strategy as you're going through these drafts. Um, that was a really great point, I thought. And and I think if we could do it again, this is kind of the point you were alluding to. And I had said earlier, like maybe we would have taken Garrett Wilson even ahead of Sky Moore. I mean, who knows? But we end up getting both of them. But either way, I mean, it, it is important to, to, before you're on the clock, I think, three picks before you're on the clock, give yourself three or four picks that you'd be comfortable with and, and be ready to, to make whatever decision you need to make. Because we did get to a point at that pick in the seventh round where, as much as we love Sky Moore, and we really do, that's a that's a steep price for him, 705. That's not the price we want to get on him. Typically, you want to be in a position where at least you're taking someone that doesn't ruin your entire roster, right? So we took him a little bit higher than we wanted to, but it still continued our build. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. It did. And then we move through. We do take Derek Carr. There were some other options. When you look at having Justin Jefferson, and again, in a 12-team league, this is not nearly as important. But Kirk Cousins goes almost three rounds later. Those two QBs might be closer in value to that. A good value on Cousins there and a good value on Justin Fields. So by waiting, I think a few of these drafters did get the right mix. Trey Lance, Justin Fields is a build that I'm using a lot. Eric executed that here. I think he's got to be very excited about his quarterbacks. And he also has Jamison Williams, who's a fun pick in there, especially if he does return to health. As we go a little bit deeper, Ben, we did get then into the area where we wanted to hit running backs and after this huge receiver run running backs start to come off the board at about pick 99 you see aj dillon there aj dillon one of the most talented backs on the nfl probably going to be very involved with the green bay packers and their lack of receiving options it is interesting to see him go ahead of ken walker and miles sanders who appear to be starters go ahead of devin singletary who i believe will be a starter going ahead of Cordero Patterson and Damian Harris. Probable starters, although Patterson, I think, based on the way last season ended and their sort of nonchalance about re-signing him, that may not be the case with him. But then you quickly get into this backup range starting in round 11, but elite backups. You have Kareem Hunt, Ramondre Stevenson, Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones. Alexander Madison, I think, maybe is a trickier pick for me now because I do like Ty Chandler a lot. We'll see if that's uh, misplaced enthusiasm. But James Cook and Rashad Penny, the other probable starter in that group is Chase Edmonds. So it's interesting to get a backup in round nine and then starters in round 10 and 11 for the King Coakley build. I mean, AJ Dillon's so interesting. I mean, like, I, I always kind of push back on these ideas of wide receiver one and wide receiver two and starter and backup. I mean, Dylan has scenarios, right, where there's a lot more two running back sets for the Packers. That's that's the talk right now with Aaron Jones, that he's going to fill some of the pass-catching void that is left by Devontae Adams. 
if that's the case, I mean, you have a Derrick Henry type running back, right? So you can put him in the backfield in a single back formation, which the Packers like to run, and you can split out Aaron Jones a little bit. And so there are scenarios where you can think of A.J. Dillon as a backup or a number two, a number two plus, right? Less of a backup than than is typical. And then, yes, as you said, he comes back. I mean, I, I, I see your point from a structural perspective. He's getting this upside because there's contingency value. There's a reason in drafts. We talk about, talked about this a lot last year. We talk about it all the time. You can sometimes take your upside play earlier than the guys that are more guaranteed points. And so that's what King Coakley does here. He takes A.J. Dillon first, and then he comes back with Damian Harris and Chase Evans who are going to kind of guarantee him some points. And Dylan, if Aaron Jones goes down, obviously has just considerable upside. So it is a really nice build altogether, but mostly I just wanted to defend A.J. Dillon as a number two. I know you did. I, I set that up for you so you could make sure you get the rah-rah in for him. I, I love Dylan. I think that he, in the broader NFL community, is probably still underrated. You're talking about a guy who I mean, he's not Derrick Henry, but there are a lot of similarities, and it, it's tough for him to be in that backup role. If anything were to happen to Aaron Jones, he would have a massive season, so especially in round nine. You can understand that pick. As we get into the end of around 11 and move through round 12, I think these receiver selections are pretty difficult, even though we did take one there ourselves. Gallup off the injury, Myers. Obviously, you and Leone are, are on Myers there. Uh, smash pick, <laughs> smash pick. So then we have Jahan Dotson, who has Crushed generated <laughs> exactly has generated some early raves with Washington. As soon as Sam Howell gets to be the starter there, we may see him blown up. Van Jefferson, especially until Odell Beckham is actually viable for them, you could see in best ball that that is a nice pick. The same thing for Josh Palmer. We took DJ Chark, who I think maybe has a lower floor, but a much higher ceiling. And not just ceiling, but I, I hope median or average. <laughs> so we, we like our selection. Obviously, that's why we picked it. Let's be clear. A huge tear down from Jacoby Myers at the turn. But yes, a, a reasonable pick where we go. Right. I only have DJ Chark about four tiers ahead of Jacoby Myers in my ranking. So. <laughs> No, as we go along here, we do see the tight ends start to come off. We discussed that element. Albert O at the end of the 12th, Komet and Tanyan. Komet, someone we were looking at a little bit to come back in 13, but we did select David Bell. You know, more rookies maybe than you necessarily want. But again, in this draft, and we continue to talk about the fact that these guys seem undervalued. We'll be able to fully address whether or not that's the case or if we were too enthusiastic as the Season moves along a little bit. Marvin Jones, Alec Pierce, Corey Davis, George Pickens. Again, we're biased. I mean, this was the guy that we wanted. But I think the rest of those players, it's difficult to see how they would end up with a workload that would really get the job done. I guess the, the real contrast there is Bell versus Alec Pierce. Some positive things about him. Those two guys are on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of athleticism. If Matt Ryan really does unlock that Indianapolis offense, there's going to be more than enough work than for just Michael Pittman. So that'll be a, a controversial, but a very high upside play. As you're looking at what the teams do here, we then were in a position where we could move away from wide receiver. I don't necessarily think there are a lot of great receiver values less other than, you know, we're always on board with Wondell Robinson. What are your thoughts about how this back third of the draft goes along? 
Well, the David Bell pick was really interesting to me because I didn't end up mentioning this over on the Spike Week stream, which, again, was a great time for anyone who got a chance to watch that. But I was going to make a little joke because it was kind of a, a joking theme over there that all of the guys we were drafting with who we have nothing but massive respect for have driven so t- far towards structure, right, that th- there was an edge for us here in player take. So I love that we got David Bell here because this is a guy that we really like as a prospect. He's the kind of guy that I think you should be targeting in the double-digit rounds of any draft you can. He's been showing up in camp, been seeing some comments that like, yeah, we shouldn't put too much weight in the fact that he hasn't dropped the ball yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, fair right? We shouldn't. The same time, we also have a long view element where we like the profile already. The only knock on him was that he didn't test well, right? But he still got some draft capital. And then he shows up in camp and he starts performing the way that we would hope he would perform, right? Like looking like Jarvis Landry 2.0 for the Browns. And they're excited about him. He's running with the ones a little bit already. This is the type of player that you want to be overexposed to. And I think you can get stuck looking at ADP and those types of things and forget, look, this is the guy that I want to take. Even if I take him high, when you get into these double digit rounds, get your targets, get these types of guys. There's still an element to best ball drafting that this part of it matters. You don't want to come out with a portfolio that is just based on what drafts gave you in terms of value And so I was excited about that. I was excited to come into this draft. A lot of really sharp drafters. I knew we were going to have a tough time structurally, but we were able to get some of these types of guys that we're really excited about player-wise. We were, and we've comped David Bell to Anquan Bolden a few times. Some of our tools at Rotoviz suggest that's not that flagrantly unrealistic. I mean, obviously having Bolden as your ceiling, I mean, it's a ceiling. It's It's not the average outcome. But then, I, if I remember correctly, Anquan Bolden started off his career with several 200-yard games. We wouldn't be against Bell coming out of the shoot on fire like that. Then we took a couple of tight ends. We felt that the three tight end build would work again. I like that for the 12-team league. I, I just don't understand the ADPs on Everett and Fant. If these guys were going two rounds earlier each, I would be constantly pulling the trigger. So it's it's almost impossible to not select them where they are going again we allow ourselves to get out of the wide receivers at that point we don't have to chase there they were joking with us a little bit about marlon max sony michelle chris evans i like taking the three running backs late one of the things that we've discussed 2022 that it's not quite the same dynamic where the best pick at the end of drafts always seems to be a running back instead of a wide receiver there are some fun running back there's some fun wide receivers late some veterans who haven't signed like julio jones and will fuller those players you would expect to get much more expensive there are some names like aliska chenault who i mean maybe the likelihood that they ever score any points is minimal but it's just there's so much pizzazz still there but with that being kind of the big picture i really like the fact that we selected three running backs in the last three rounds i think these values are quite solid for all three players yeah, I mean, they're running backs. <laughs> no, the, I, I was most excited about the Chris Evans pick, and we talked about that a little bit earlier. Mac, I'm kind of coming around on, as you keep talking about him. I, I do. He's a guy that I liked in Indianapolis early in his career 
from his prospect days, from his early career days. I like the I like your take that if he's back from his second year from the Achilles, that that maybe he's a little bit more explosive. It's a it's certainly an open backfield. So you're taking him in the 16th round. There is a potential for Marlon Mack to lead the Houston Texans and touches. And if that's the case, like that's a smash pick in the 16th round. So that feels a little bit like a couple of years ago in Chris Carson's breakout year, you were really on him late in a lot of your best ball drafts. I remember that you have this knack for feeling out the, the, the forgotten guy that could potentially lead his entire backfield. And, and Mac could be that guy. And if he's explosive as well, I mean, it's a bad offense. There's not a ton of upside there, but in the 16th round in a build like this, where we had only taken three running backs, that could be a pretty huge pick. I like Michelle. We've talked about how all the dolphins backs could be potentially interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not upset about this. They're they're running backs, but they're, they're good running backs. I think they're smart targets. So we do end up with a build that we like. Ben, thanks for doing this with me. Thanks for inviting me along when you had the chance to do it. And this has been uh, just so much fun doing these drafts with you for Stealing Bananas on Underdog. Great format. Listeners can get a 100% deposit bonus when they sign up, up to $100 by using the coupon code rotoviz when they sign up then we're gonna we're gonna have to do this some more we got some more drafts coming up we have some ffpc targets in mind it's gonna be a great summer of drafting yeah we got a lot of fun stuff coming up it was a fun friday night draft a, a great time with you sean and i this is a good team we're gonna win this league we like it and, and that's the thing that i think is important when you get out of a draft through selecting fun players and knowing what your structure needs to be you should never come out and be disappointed right you're going to come out be fired up win or lose you drafted the team that you wanted make sure you do that we'll talk to all you guys soon Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.